All right, welcome to a very special episode of Inappropriate Earl. Uh, we have one of the young, rising stallions in the world of stand-up comedy. This guy's what they call in the business, a real comer. Uh, he's uh, one of my good friends up at the comedy store. Uh, we've known each other for, uh, who knows, it's so long, I don't know, four or five years. He's a big wrestling fan. He's taken down a lot of high-end twat at the store, but he's quiet about it, which is the way to do it. I work in the shadows. Yeah, the sh and there's a lot of shadows at the comedy store, so uh, dark shadows. Uh, please put your hands together for the one, the only, Mr. Matt Edgar. Thank you, Earl. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. No, thank you for uh, being here. We're going to talk all things wrestling, comedy. Uh, Donald Sterling is out of control right now. Uh, you know, he's probably just got passed at the comedy store. <laughs> and, wow. uh, well, he draws a crowd. He's got it. Um, so, uh, what are your thoughts? Let's just get right. Into it. I had you on originally to talk about wrestling. Oh, I think this is more important right now. But this is a huge story in LA. If you if you don't, well, everyone in the world knows by now. You know, Donald Sterling is. Uh, let's just say he has uh, problems with black people on Instagram. And uh, I mean, listen, black is not a good color on Instagram. I'll agree with him there. But uh, you like basketball, right? Sure. Like you, are you a Clipper guy? Um, I, I guess, I mean, as much as, uh, I mean, I'm from here, I would take Clippers over Lakers. I thought that was a big bandwagon and which is still, I guess cl the Clippers is starting to become a bandwagon, but I like Blake Griffin. I like some other players. Um, and like, I like uh, their owner. Uh, yeah. I mean, well, you know, I think next year, how, how are you? My question to you and anyone really is how are you a black player the coach is black how do you work for this guy tomorrow yeah i mean you block it out i guess i mean, you're you're playing in the nba of uh, you know my thing is that this guy is, of course he's a race look how old he is this old white guy from old white money it's like it, i don't think that it it's wrong that he's racist that's stupid and he'll die soon and that's fine that whole generation's gonna go soon but uh you know you're you're getting paid a lot of money to to play the one game that you know you love more than anything that you've played your entire life and you've worked so hard to get here and now it's playoffs time and I just I just don't think I think nobody's getting hurt from his racism except uh, black people. Yeah, yeah. I mean, did really though? Does that really offend people? It's just some. It's some one old guy. Well, you're right. I mean that. Uh... Is from a. He's, I don't know why. Like, I mean, I I get why this it should be big news and everything, but I just I don't know, man. I don't think it really affects anyone. I mean, who cares? He's some old owner. He's not going to be around much longer. Well, here's the thing. He's got so much money that I don't think he cares what people think about him. Clearly. I mean, he's got money. He might be the richest owner in the league. Maybe Mark Cuban. Uh, has more money, but uh, like he has an office building. I think it's on the corner of Rodeo and Wilshire. Uh, I think it's the richest uh, in terms of land value and, and rental income you could get in, in the city. And the first seven floors are vacant. Oh my God. And then his office building is up at the top. It's like that he's losing millions a month in potential rent, but 
Who cares? Yeah. In his mind. Yeah. It's like, crazy. Nothing, man. Um, I think any, if anything, that girl, I mean, the what? girl that, who, by the way, isn't she mixed? Like she's, is she also black? Well, that's the funny thing is for a guy who hates black people. He, he yeah, was putting his interest in company. He was putting his dingling in her. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you know, what are you doing? I, I just, I think she, you know, her, it's a childish fit she, she's throwing and, and she's ruining it for everyone. I mean, like, I can't stress enough the fact that he's a racist. Yes, that's stupid and it's wrong. But, uh, Why'd she have to go and do that now? Like the play, this is getting in the player's head. I mean, it affected their their game. Um, they're talking about boycotting. It's like, you know, if she never did that, we could all just like we could just have a good time and watch some good Clippers basketball and not have to think about racial issues. It's just a social issue to me that I think that uh, you know, like like we could all have thick skin about this. And I know I'm not a I'm not black, and it's like. Who am I to say that you shouldn't be offended? I guess, yeah, get offended, but um, just remember, it's just some old white guy that's not going to be around. His, it doesn't really matter. He still pays his players. Everybody's making money. Everybody's getting to play baseball or basketball. I mean, it's like, it's not, I don't know, man. I just don't want it to affect the team. I just think letting it affect the way you play is giving that guy too much power. But it almost has to affect the team. I mean, if you're a black player, even if you're the only white guy on the team, Reddick, you have to be like, wow, our owner's fucking insane. Yeah. I yeah. Mean, well, and that's the thing, too. I'm sure it's a compromising position when you're actually on it. I'm saying as a guy who hardly watches basketball that's, that you know, outside looking in um, is a different perspective. So, you know, really fuck what I have to say about it. But I just, you know. But you're a fan, though. You're the guy who's going to buy the, the ticket to go to the game, the Clipper yeah. T-shirt. Uh, you know, I know you're not like a monster Clipper guy, but, you know, we're the most important people in this whole thing. You know, it's like, which is funny because we're going to talk about wrestling. And I always felt guilty liking some eras of wrestling because you think of how Vince McMahon portrayed black people. Uh, let's, you know, I mean, if you remember the Junkyard Dog, this was a black dude who was forced to wear a dog chain and crawl around the ring on all fours yeah. like he was an animal yeah, yeah you know and slick was like just some sleazy conniving typical pimp right you know virgil right, the godfather the godfather was just some sleazy conniving pimp yeah. uh, kamala was some savage animal from africa who couldn't speak english um i mean there's many more i mean uh and you know gay characters as well but uh i mean you know i look back and go how could i like some of these things well, you know i mean what, i don't know i was a kid watching those guys and i didn't know that I didn't know how racist that was. I thought I didn't think that I didn't think that about black people. I thought those were just characters on this this fantasy that I follow. Yeah, I know. I mean, I just you know the Sterling thing kind of just made me look at stuff I like, and you know, like I bet Sterling's favorite movie is Blazing Saddles. I mean, he's probably. I mean, like Django Unchained and. 42 is probably like porn to him like you know just and there's more people out there like him if you think he's the only nba owner who doesn't like black people you're out, i mean i'm not saying you but you know you're out of your mind this is such an old i mean they're so old that's like that it's that generation you know my great grandpa was racist seemed like a good man but would would say horrible shit just so it would just come out so fluently like he didn't even it took no thought it was 
and and you know that he's dead now and like that generation's dying and like this guy's the last of that one of the last of that generation i just hate that this kind of this i just hate that it's affecting the players and it's affecting everybody this much like i said it's giving him too much power he already has enough oh yeah well obama had the best uh I think take on this where he said uh, the thing you do with an ignorant person is just let him talk. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's great. That's that's brilliant because it, let him let him do what he's going to do. It's not he's like I said, still paying the players. Uh, the Clippers is still a team. That guy's not going to be around much longer. We don't have to worry about him. Uh, it really in the end, fuck that girl, man. She, she her little childish temper tantrums costing the Clippers. And that just goes to show you, I'm guessing that about a week ago, he probably called her a cunt. Cut, oh, yeah. And, you also, know. he sounded fucked up in that recording. He sounded painkiller fucked up. Yeah. Well, a lot of, uh, I was just listening to, I think, ESPN. The guy was saying when he used to work for the Clippers, he would go to the team Christmas party and one party. Uh Sterling would greet everyone dressed as Santa and you take a picture with him. So he get, walks in with his wife, takes a picture. She forgets her makeup. He goes back out to the car and get it. Comes back literally like two minutes later. And Donald Sterling's like, hey, Donald Sterling, nice to meet you. Let's take a picture. He's like, oh, we just took one a minute ago. So I think it was John Ireland just to give proper credit to. Uh, yeah, he's, he's getting fucked up. So, I mean, but he doesn't care. You know, he could have moved the Clippers to uh, the Arrowhead Pond. And uh, had the arena to himself. He's like, ah, fuck it. I'll just be the second. Like, he doesn't care. Right. Like, who would want to stay in the arena with the Lakers where you know you'll be second banana forever? Uh-huh. And, you know, he just doesn't care. Yeah. Also, you know, in those recordings, you could tell there's a lot of times where he's like, why are we, you know, why are you ask? Why are you still talking about this? She was trying to pull it out of him. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely, I could see someone like TMZ setting uh, him up saying, hey, you know, if you can get him going, uh, you know, we'll we'll make it worth your while, you know, because she had to know once these tapes that she's cut out of his life. Mm-hmm. So, you know, she got compensated well by somebody. Yeah. Um, totally. And, you know, but her 15 minutes of fame, she'll be a hooker and on back page yeah. within a year. Yeah. Because, you know, who's going to want to be around her? She's really not that hot either. I mean. I mean, she looks like she could have been in Poison in 87. I mean, you know, you, you know how it is. You've seen girls at the comedy store. Once the, the younger ones come in, the older ones are out. Yeah. It's just evolution. Yeah, it's it's harder for women. They they age quicker. The 20s, they just, you know. Well, you want the young girl. I mean, yeah. you know, you always want to downgrade age-wise and, you know, uh I mean, you know, this girl's hot now. She's probably 25, but she looks uh, an old 25. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Donald's got that rough face. Yeah, I mean, she'd been around the block. I mean, you know, you're taking pictures with Kemp and Magic. That means you like the black dong. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. I really think the issue wasn't so much uh, it being a black thing as it was it was other guys. Well, I think it was a black thing. Well, of course, there's a black thing in it. But, I mean, he really, it was like, he seemed like a jealous boyfriend. Yeah, no, you're right there. You're just probably like, I'm Donald Sterling. You're going to 
take my money. You're going to. Because he even said that nice thing about magic in that recording, like in that conversation. He's like, oh, I do. You know, he, he is someone that should be. I forget what it, but it was such a backhanded compliment. Yeah, I was like, I admire him. He, he should be admired, should but be admired. just not in my arena, <laughs> which is really. Don't uh, bring him there again. Yeah. Like, you know, so it's it's a sad because uh, now the Clippers are like they had a great their best season probably ever. And now, you know, tomorrow night will be interesting. Does the crowd, boo? you know, like if you're a Clipper fan, call in. All right, we don't take calls. Uh, well, that's the sad thing is like the 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 team has to hear the boos for it. Like, I don't know, man. I just feel bad for the I feel bad for the team, really. The people that that do work for the Clippers that aren't racist, you know what I mean? Or, or are offended by it. And that's their boss. Like, that's just that's where it's that's where it's shitty. Uh I, I have a hard time. I mean, I don't know. Me, does it affect me? No, because it's just another example of an old racist guy. I've seen that my whole life. And then uh, and it going public, I just think it, it, it ruins everyone's good time. Now we're talking about this rather than talking about how great the Clippers are. Yeah. Or, you know, I had you on to talk about wrestling and comedy in L.A. And it's like, I just, we have to talk about this. I, man. I mean, it's yeah, like. I, I get it all out. I mean. I mean, it's such a, I mean, CNN has it on. I mean, people aren't even looking for the Malaysian airplane anymore. So, I mean, it's like. That's know. what it took. But I tell you what, right now, if you put a shitty uh, comedy show on that Malaysian airplane, uh, a lot of people would find it. Oh yeah. A lot of com I would find it just so I could headline Get a it. A Facebook notification of where it's at. Yeah, yeah. I mean that's crazy that there's not one trace of it, but you know that's another. It's old news. So all right, let's get well. So that's it. I mean, you know, we got a racist basketball owner. You know, it's tomorrow the NBA commissioner's doing a uh, press conference. Oh, I can't wait for that. And uh, you know, he does have the power. You know, it's here's the thing. It's like, what do you do? You can't take the team from him. It's his team. You just can't take someone's possession from them and you know it's it's like but you can't have him there either this might kill that old man well he's probably so looped up on adderall and you know uh other oxycontin he probably doesn't even he probably thinks he could go to the game tomorrow night and everyone would cheer him i i really hope he does think that Oh, I, well, and now his life is probably in danger. You know, you got some militant brothers out there. Oh, I'll, I'll show you who not to bring to your games. Yeah, but he's untouchable. Who knows, man? Close to him. I mean, you know. I, he has black security in the, that term. That would be the funniest if he had, uh, you know, a huge black security guard who let, just let the gunman just slip in. <laughs> just goes and takes a nap. He should, yeah, I'll be right back, Mr. Sterling. He lets the guy in. Hey, he's in the bedroom. We'll take him out. I mean, so, you know, it's, it's. Uh, I mean, to he'll make money on this. That's the crazy thing. If you take the team away from him, he'll make a billion dollars because that's about what he'd be paid. Sure. Who wouldn't want that? Yeah. Even a billionaire wants another billion. I wonder why he bought a basketball team if he's such a bigot. Well, you know, mo because he uh, he, just he just to own in his mind. I mean, uh, you know, it, it's, it's the closest thing. He slavery. Slavery. It's great. He, you know, in his mind, it's like I'm giving them food and water. <laughs> so, um, you know, it, it's it's there's many more people out there like him. You know, he's not. But you know. I think they there's some secret rule where three quarters of the owners can vote him out. Oh, really? Yeah, they, like oh, where he had. But they were saying on the news today, there's like eight owners who have big skeletons in their closet. Ooh, yeah. 
uh, like one guy uh, is against gay rights and he, he's donated millions of dollars to fight gay marriage. And then another guy had some like chemical company where, uh, you know, all these things were causing cancer. So there's like eight of them who, you know, might not be on board with kicking him out because then they think, well, let's go after this guy next. Yeah. Yeah. So tomorrow's going to be a very interesting day in L.A. sports. I cannot wait. And it's great for the L.A. Kings, the hockey team, because they play tonight. And the city needs, like, just any positive energy right now. And if they, they're down, uh, they were down 3-0. If they win tonight, the series is tied. If they could win the series, you know, it would at least somewhat soften the blow of Donald Sterling and, and the racism, because it's just an ugly story. But, uh, you know, final thoughts. I, I mean, it just... It, as Bill O'Reilly would say, "What say you?" It's a shitty thing, man. I wish that uh, I wish that it didn't blow up like this. I wish he could have just been racist in the privacy of his home, where it didn't affect anybody. Like me. Yeah, like yeah. I mean, uh, like others. I know. Well, not, you're not... not just at home being racist, right. though. It comes out in fun places. But I'm just really? kidding around. You're you're timing of racism is impeccable but i'm kidding and everyone knows it. yeah that's yeah. why it works it's like right at the right time you'll say something horrible and i mean i watch you just kill in black audiences because of that because they i do it so over the top yeah completely it's like nobody would outwardly say this in, in in a group of people they know it's a character and i always look at the black comics first mm -hmm. so, you know because if they're not laughing I'm like, okay maybe i crossed the line there yeah and you know do like, you think that a lot do you feel like you might have crossed it I mean, like, uh, you know, during the roast battle, which is, uh, I don't know if a lot of people who listen know what that is. It's Tuesday nights at the comedy store. There's a, uh, how would you describe that? Like, a, a, I don't want to say a yo mama contest, but it's, it's totally not. It's, uh, it's way more clever than that. It's, you know, two comedians going head to head, writing roast jokes, you know, face to face. It's not like yeah. a panel thing. It's not, there's not a dais. It's two guys holding microphones. One says a roast joke. The audience reacts and the other guy says the joke and and uh, Earl is uh, what, what we call the house racist and he just kind of chimes in when the moment's right and it's always very racially uh, fueled and and just so funny and it's all because of your timing it's like even and as bad as the stuff that you say is it just it's it always is it's always clever because it falls right into what's going on in the room it's not outwardly it doesn't come out of the blue. Well, it's just based on several people actually up at the comedy right. store. Yeah, and that's the thing, too. It's it's also an impression. Yeah, I mean, it's so ridiculous. I mean, I was actually uh, raised by... Uh, my dad was away in business a lot, so I, my stepdad, even though he wasn't a stepdad, but it's the only way I really knew how to describe him, was black. So, yeah. you know, I was, you know, raised in a semi-black environment you know since i was a kid so i'm so you're close to it that's how you could i'm down with the brothers kind of thought so quickly um you know like it, the funny thing is this guy he'd take me to school he, i guess you call him a butler or whatever the proper term is no i mean i butler's dismissive to me like that's why i say it's like a, a stepdad role uh he would take me to sambo's every day for lunch now sambo's is a pretty racially derogatory name but that was the name of a major restaurant in la 
It was the, basically they all turned into Denny's. Uh -huh. So, you know, and the Sambo's logo was like this <laughs> black guy eating a ham bone. Well, I'm confused. How I don't know what I don't know that word. Sambo's is like uh, it's not. I mean, I don't really know what it means, but it, it's not very uh, friendly towards you know African Americans. Uh -huh. It's like, you know, he's. Uh, I mean, I don't, you know, uh, it's just not a good word for, you know, it's just, uh, I don't think, you know, it's just funny that a major restaurant was named after it, it would yeah. be like, uh, I know in the South, they have some restaurants called crackers, which is, you know, not the greatest term toward white people. Yeah. It's the same thing, but then they all turned into Denny's out here, which yeah. had racial problems. John Little. Oh, he was the best. Is the best. John Little wanted to open up a, uh, he'd always talk about opening up a sand company where he ships sand <laughs> across the country, and he wanted to call it Sand Niggers. I mean, <laughs> you know, I I'm never one to... Uh, he was dead serious. He I mean, uh, he like, he would look into it, and like, I guess, I think he knew somebody that had a sand company and he somehow thought it could work and he wanted to do it out of Oklahoma so that might have worked too but um well I had a friend of mine and he was along the same lines he was uh he wanted to do a, a he was a surfer and you know they have these things called boogie boards which are um kind of like beginning surfboards for people who aren't really you know sure if they want to invest in a like a you know a real deal surfboard and he wants boogie boards yeah oh yeah so everyone knows what boogie boards are i had a one or two as a kid Absolutely. he wanted to have a surfboard a boogie board company in compton because the, the rents are cheap for the warehouses oh. and he was like my tagline and he was dead serious was boogies made by boogies oh. and it's like dude you uh i'd like to invest in Very that no, I'm just, yeah i mean that's well but it's just sambos was just like really that's where that's, was that at um they were basically wherever you see a denny's used yeah. to be a sambos wow. so uh is that why you think they changed it or no oh, absolutely i mean i think someone was like and this was in the 70s and 80s uh someone was like uh i think we should probably change the name of this uh because you know they probably showed them the racial slur database and it's like uh, uh <laughs> which is an amazing thing is that a thing there's uh you can go online google or i guess google it and it's called the racial slur database and it's sad but like white people have like maybe 20 names mexicans like 30 names the black racial slur database is like literally 300 names oh. some of them are pretty funny i will i will you know you know admit to that but you know there's some funny ones for the white ones sure racism can be funny if it's done with no meanness yeah exactly it's like in like i said the, with timing you know if it's in context well yeah like the other night at the roast joke uh and the creators of the show uh rel battle and brian moses both black and uh, uh you know moses is the uh i guess you'd say the mc the host of the show and i presented him with a watermelon on stage and you know it's just like that's that's crazy yeah but you know what you're a comedian on a comedy show and everybody gets it you know my dad's the mayor of los alamitos really yes the reason he got that job was he was actually on city council but the mayor before him posted uh on an email string um the white a picture of the white house with watermelons growing out front <laughs> and it became national news and he got you know he got fired for it and my dad stepped in it's like that's a place where you don't be racist like it's not even a he was trying to kid i i don't know if he's at he if he meant of 
I doubt he meant that. I mean, he's a mayor of a city. He was probably trying to be funny, but it doesn't fly in that context because this is a political world. We all need to be politically correct. But when you're doing a comedy show, that's just so when it's about making fun of each other and making fun of people, um, you know, the main thing is whenever you say anything racially funny, the room laughs together, black, white. I mean, we have everybody in there. It's a bunch of comedians. And it's you know what? I really think, too, it's like, how do you be a comedian and racist? You guys are all together. Like, how many times have you had to like you're mix when you're a comedian, you're mixed into worlds where where you would never you would normally never get to be like you meet people that you would never meet you hang out with people that you never meet and after you've done it for so long that like there's you've i mean you have friends with people that like are are complete crackhead prostitutes oh, yeah. just you know you shoot the shit with that you would never have been able to come anywhere near had you not been in the world of comedy so in those contexts it's fun and it's like it's fun to make fun of stuff and it's just so lighthearted but uh, you know, when you're an owner for a for a, a professional sports team, you know, or a politician, it's like, you know, like, don't just man. I mean, it, it's sad, too, because he was having a conversation. Sterling back to Sterling yeah. he was having a conversation with his girlfriend. Uh, so you would you would think that that's private. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean. It's just sad. It's still like he's a racist and he's oh horrible. So that's it's. You know, I, I hear how like, yeah, let's reveal him for the racist he is. It's just right now, you know, can we have waited after the series? Can we wait, you know, in the summertime when I mean it's crazy. We could get rid of him and have a new owner by by the next season. Yeah, can now you, we have to like this is the most critical time for the Clippers. Yeah, can you at least wait till the Clippers are in the second round? <laughs> yeah. Uh I mean, and they have a legitimate shot at winning the uh the title, I mean, but they, they looked so discouraged yesterday and just so disheartened and like, ah, fuck it. Uh, I mean, how do you, in your heart, play for that guy, knowing that he thinks you're just nothing but a, mm. Yeah, um, I don't know, but I, I, I just, I think it's, it's also about playing for the love of the game. Oh, it's tough. I mean, it's really a... There's such professionals that they've done this. It's, it's almost, it's not that there's no love for the game. Of course, they still have their passion, but... You know, the surface level thing is their boss is a huge racist and now everyone knows it and they're working for them. That's kind of like uh, uh, I hate saying I I'm, I won't say the actual thing. But, you know, when a you know, in slave days, when there was a, a slave that worked in the house. Right. A house. Yeah. Mm. How, much, how much how despicable he was to all the other slaves. Yeah. So I wonder if it's like that for other basketball teams and players. Like, oh, you guys are still going to work for this? Like, they're in the house with the racist. But I'm sure they know that their owner, the odds of their owner probably being a racist is, oh, yeah. is pretty high. Yeah, so you think, like, the other players are like, like wow, man, well, it sucks that they got... Let's know. look at our owner. Yeah. I mean, unless they're a black owner, which I think there's there might be one... Uh, one or two i'm not sure on who owns every team i mean oh i guess magic owns something they own uh well that's or jordan favorite. doesn't jordan own magic, some? they're they're talking about how cool it would be if magic bought the team but I yeah i just absolutely love that that would just throw everything in everyone's face 
But I mean, I don't know. Like it just, you know, Sterling's big thing is that he loves lawsuits because he always has more money than everybody. Uh, yeah. So you know, I, I sport for him. But yeah, it's it's well known that uh, the coaches he's fired and you, Bill Fitch, uh, Dunleavy, and that there was a third guy, Hughes, I think. But I'm not like the biggest hoops guy, so I may be off in the last one. <laughs> you owe them, even when you fire someone. I don't think a lot of people realize you still have to pay them. Mm-hmm. You know, like when Mike Brown was fired by the Lakers, he had a five-year deal. Yeah, you have a contract. He's still getting paid. Fitch would be like, hey, you're not my coach anymore. Or uh, Sterling would be like, you're not my coach anymore. If you want the rest of your money, sue me. Uh, And it's like, how are you going to go up against Donald Sterling? Yeah. I mean, even if you're like a coach who's got millions in the bank, even Phil Jackson wouldn't have the funds to like. So, uh, but now the NBA could do it in reverse because they got more money than Sterling. Yeah, sure. So it's, it's, I mean, tomorrow's press conference is going to. I can't wait. It's the NBA versus. Yeah, it's going to set off a chain of events. Uh, I'm sure, uh, you know, but this is a well-known thing with Sterling. I mean, everyone in in the inner circles of real estate and and the NBA knew that he was Elgin Baylor, the black GM, legendary Laker and basketball player, made a big stink about this years ago saying I had to work under racist conditions and no one gave a shit because who's Elgin Baylor? He's just some crazy old Laker. But now it's like, you know. This is where it's hot. Yeah. And I met Elgin Baylor once at the supermarket. Now here's like one of the greatest basketball players ever. He really was. And he was on my favorite episode of The White Shadow. So I walked up to him and said, hey, man, I loved you on The White Shadow. Like, I totally dismissed his basketball career as being one of the greatest ever. Just go right to some shitty show that he probably doesn't even remember doing. Yeah. But, you know, so there you go. I love those obscure compliments to people that they wouldn't even think about that. Like, oh, you saw that? Well, I love it, man. Like, who was at the comedy store? Uh the uh the blonde kid from uh karate kid the bad guy mm. johnny yeah and all the comics are going up to him like hey man i loved you in the karate kid you know put him in a body bag johnny and you know just all those lines and he looks at me like all right you say it too Aww. and uh, i'm like hey man uh, i loved you in just one of the guys and he was like whoa it was Thank like you. some obscure movie and so i mean that's the great thing about the comedy store you so many celebrities of all levels a level to you know, D level, you know, freaks. Yeah, the guy from Real World that said his grandma died. Yeah. Oh, no. Oh, was that the guy? I thought that was the guy on uh, fucking, uh, what was the oh, name? Was uh, Survivor. Survivor. Yeah. Was he up there? Yeah. Uh, I've seen him before. I don't even want to, can't even think of his name. Johnny Fairplay. That's right. Yeah. Which is scary. I know that. He heckled Dave Chappelle one night and Dave ripped him one. He said, actually, his heckle was, I'm Johnny Fairplay from Survivor. I said my grandma died. And then Chappelle goes, and the whole crowd, you can tell it's, everyone's annoyed, gets quiet, and then Chappelle goes, uh, I'm sorry, I never heard of you. I come from a branch of television that takes talent. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, I know the people in the back, all the animals in the back. Whoa! Especially this douchebag. Just, I mean, why would you interrupt Dave Chappelle? Well, if you're a celebrity and you have to tell people who you are, you're not really a celebrity. Exactly. You know, it's like Jeff Ross walks in the room. He doesn't have to say, hey, you know, hey I'm Jeff Ross. We know. So. Yeah. 
you know, and he's so nice that he doesn't say, you know, he's like, Jeff Ross. oh, he's the best. And he, he's a big uh, reason behind my character. Uh, you know, he's, uh, you oh, know, yeah. he's encouraged me. He has right. nothing to do with what I say. Yeah. But, uh, you know, he, even I was like, hey, you know, am I going too over the line? You know, it's like, you know, because he knows on roast what. Yeah, sure. You got to understand how television works. And, yeah, I mean, I even told him, like, hey, man, when this goes to TV, and that show will get on TV, I'm convinced of it. Oh, I know. It's going to be, I'm watching my friend Brian Moses become a star from it. It's pretty incredible. Oh, he'll be great. I mean, Rel will be a, it, Really, anyone who's, uh, and, and, you know, people like you will get on it. Like, you know, there's so many things to so many roast situations you could concoct you could have like you know you go up against maybe another you know rising comic or or maybe a bitter old comic mm -hmm. uh you could have like new york comics against la comics you could have like someone said argus and fraser yeah, yeah, that would be hilarious I was just thinking that i would you know, love to see that black Those comics guys write jokes that are could be you know they're the quick the roast world is very much set up punch it's like a set up punch type stuff yeah those guys are that so I mean, there's so I mean, it, I would love to see that battle. Black comics versus white comics. I mean, if you really like went nuts, I don't think they would ever do it because I don't think they like each other. But you could have Rogan and Mencia. I mean, how big would oh, that be? That would be incredible. You know, and then just there's a million like, you know, I don't know, Dalia against Dane Cook. Yeah, I mean, how I big mean, can it get? It you know, like you especially. I can't wait to see. I would love to see Jeff Ross do one. You know, yeah, but like, you know, general himself. Yeah, I mean, who would take him on? I mean, you know, David Tell maybe. Yeah, I mean, I was just thinking that a Tell. You know. I mean, it's so endless how you could have it would Freelander. Yeah, against because uh, everybody's going to take their own kind of approach to comedy with them in that arena. Yeah, it's, like, it's interesting to see what certain people would do. And I, I mean, I would do it more in a Rick Rude type character, but I don't think people would get the you know. No, I, I would. You and know, you know what a lot of people would actually because he was so over the top. Like you could tell he was laughing. You know, on a lot of the things he was saying to the crowd, because he's like, "This is so stupid," but you know, all you fat, lazy, unsophisticated New Jersey swamp dragons. <laughs> this is like, I like the way he spoke. He was great. He paused after yeah. every word. He had great rhythm in his. Yeah. In his great timing. I mean, I, you know, and that's what I don't. And maybe this morphs into the wrestling, because I don't see the guys today having that. Like, they're starting to. I mean, there's a few, like, I'm trying to think, uh, Wade Barrett's pretty good, but they've, like, ruined his character, so nobody really cares yeah. about him anymore. Uh, you know, Daniel Bryant's pretty good. I think he's amazing. Orton's great on the mic. I think right now the wrestling talent in WWE is better than it's been in a while. I mean, especially the last day. I'm not saying it is the Attitude Era again, but I'm saying that it's, you know, it's like an Attitude Era. Yeah, no, I get what you're saying. I mean, I, I think the only problem is, uh, you know, th they don't have any competition pushing them. Like TNA is so bad and so awful that it's like, let's just do what we want. You know, it's interesting, man. There's some great indie organizations that I would love to see have a Monday night show around that time like this that company pwg yeah who i've tried to go with you guys yeah, tickets just went on sale we should go to the next one but meyerowitz uh, josh meyerowitz our uh, ticket uh concierge was a little late on uh, getting me in 
getting me in the loop on the last one. Oh man. Well, he was all over me. Yeah. I must have slipped his mind, but he definitely, he already hit me up about the ones that just went on sale. And I'm telling you, Earl, for, from a guy that, you know, you really enjoy wrestling. I'll tell you this in the first five minutes of watching it, cause you're in a small little, I guess the closest thing I could compare it to is like a, a high school gymnasium, maybe even a little smaller than one of those three rows around the ring it's it's so tiny and within the first five minutes of watching the first match i I immediately and i've watched wrestling my whole life i'm like oh my god this is the way to watch wrestling well i mean uh yeah i mean i remember going to xpw shows which was uh those were insane but there's i think they're meant to be more intimate rather than you know it's fun in the arena there's so many people it looks big it's it just kind of makes everything look iconic and watching on tv is the next best thing but when you're in that like you know i I, there's a few times that i only went once there's a few times where i got to run up and something would happen in the ring and then slam on the mat like i'm hitting the mat ringside and with a bunch of other people it's it's fight club for wrestling. It's like fake fight club. Well, that's like the roast battle. I think why it works is because it's in the belly room. Oh, yeah. Which is the smallest room. And it's like an ECW type feel. It's yeah. like people are jammed in there. And, uh, you know, I, I know there was talk. It's getting so big, they wanted to move it to the main room. Yeah, I think they're doing that for the next one. See, I don't think they should because no, it's I just too big. It is. It is. And you wouldn't have the energy. And people, I think, would walk into the main room. They'd check it out, and then they'd leave. That's the thing about the belly room. You can't leave. Once you're in there. Oh, yeah. You, yeah, you're stuck. You'll lose your space. So You better hope there's not a fire. You know, if you uh, hear this, this actually will be uh, put up today. Uh, usually, I just stockpile them, and you know, I, I found it wasn't fair to the people coming on the podcast because they were plugging their shows that were, you know, three months, three months like after the fact. You know, I had Sandy on once, and he's talking about this show he had in September, and and I released it in like November. So I'm trying to be a little better about, you know, uh, but uh, the show this Thursday is your good friend. Uh, at, Tony, at Tony, at Tony, yeah. I'm giving this Twitter at Tony Hinchcliffe on Twitter versus Jesus Trejo, who's a real animal. Yeah. And this is a hard one to pick yeah. because it's both great uh, I comics. I like, I like let's uh, let's sports center this right now. I think that, um, well, you know, I think experience. It's hard to say because Tony hasn't been in the battle. Yeah, Jesus battled a few times and he's only won. Uh, Tony does have a roast history uh, working with Jeff Ross. I mean, he's Jeff, Jeff Ross' right hand man for a while. Uh, I I think that, I and mean, he's also done roasts himself, professional roasts. You guys roast the uh, the Iron Sheik together that one. Time. Oh, that was great. So I think uh, you got you just got a really good, and they're both friends and they love each other. So I think that helps too. That that kind of uh, that you, you know Jeff said it best. Jeff Ross said it. I, I helped him. I had the honor to sit with Jeff Ross and help him write for the Charlie Sheen roast. Which was great. Which was, thank you. I wrote three jokes for that. that oh, cool. Yeah. Um, and uh, one thing he said about right, we had Steve-O over one time because he was on it. And uh, we were helping Steve-O write jokes. And he told Steve-O about roasting and how, um, you know, he, and Jeff Ross always says this, I only roast the ones I love. And uh, I think that helps because when you love someone, you know them, you have that kind of compassion for them. You know what's sensitive to them, but how that's also funny, especially Jesus and Tony have such thick skin. They'll be fine. You know, they could really go to any place and I don't nobody's getting offended there. It's it just 
two friends that are really funny making fun of each other in front of everybody. And and uh, I think I don't know who's going to win, but I know that we'll all have a great time. Oh, it's going to be one of the great nights in comedy store history. I mean, you know, I, I, I give Jesus the slightest edge only because... He's already been roasted tw- uh, three times. Is it two or three times? I'm not sure. I think t- at least twice, possibly three. At least twice. The records are almost like wrestling records. You, you know, you, you know, because there's a lot of roasts in the beginning. I don't know if they necessarily counted. Yeah. You know, like I did one against Boone, yeah. and I don't think people would really count that as me doing it's one. Not in the book. But it, it, you know, I counted. I mean, I killed him. But uh, that was like me. I was like the warrior, and he was the Brooklyn brawler. Yeah, it's not fair. I had like three three rounds of AIDS jokes, and he just kept saying, "Who does your hair?" <laughs> so, but you know, so all the lines. I mean, you know, the thing with Jesus is you can't say he's not funny. So oh, that no. that kind of goes, you know, because some people who roast aren't funny, and you could zing him on that. You know, like, you know, he has obvious uh, physical, uh, maybe. Uh, situations you could make fun of you know you know the hair or whatever but it's already been done twice well, it's, all, it's already been done by him as well i mean the guy's a comedian who makes fun of that about himself so i mean i mean it's i really think especially when somebody who's all already been and this is also why i will give jesus the slight edge is that he, a lot of those things have been called out you can't right. repetitive like tony actually has to work harder now oh absolutely can tony beat him absolutely oh sure if this was uh at the first time roast like you know none of them had roasted i would i would maybe say tony gets a slight edge because i think he is the more frankly the more mean-spirited of the two yeah. uh and and that's what you you need that edge i think um you know if you look at the last couple winners of, of the roast battles it's the ones who like you know went hard you know and uh, uh, you know, but you know, Tony's pr- only problem that I see is that every he's got so much material to go on. You know, like uh, you know, I don't know, just a lot of things that that are going to be completely fresh. So when Jesus says his lines about whatever, it's going to be like, oh my god, that's great. And, and both of them are smart enough to have already written reversals. Yeah, well, that's the key. I mean, as someone who's seen every every roast battle, and now that I'm the the house racist i sit basically on the stage uh you know it's all about the rebuttal yeah like absolutely jesus knows tony's gonna hit the hairline yeah and the mustache and uh poor parents poor people make fun of jesus's teeth i've never noticed him to i mean i've really i don't you know uh but you know comics are vicious you know so jesus knows that tony probably knows that jesus will hit him on uh you know certain women from his past and uh you know his association with jeff i mean it's like when virginia roast got roasted and roasted uh you know she knew that everyone was gonna say oh you know you're with jeff you know blah 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 so you know it's like these are two smart guys yeah there's not I think that's the thing too is that where I've seen people fail is they get rocked by something that they weren't expecting they're like oh you went there and this is early roast I think now since the roast been going on for a few months like everybody's well aware that there are no rules people will say whatever they want and they could go as mean as they want and oh yeah like sometimes they do um, I don't know. I think you know what what also gives people what what fucks people up a lot is the the guys and it's, I think it's rare that we see it anymore but. Definitely in the beginning, a lot of the younger guys, a lot of the newer comics would 
would think that they had they they'd write all the jokes by themselves and not show anyone and they'd have no idea how unfunny or how they just don't connect like these jokes are horrible and they're just getting slammed whereas you know when you're a comedian you're friends with other comedians like these guys are some of these guys are professional funny people oh yeah run some shit by and make sure this you know keep it out of your head as much as possible so you you kind of know going into it just like boxers that are going into a fight they watch the tapes they have a training camp you know what i mean they have a team behind them build your team when you go into it don't just go in it alone because the other guy's not alone and and i've seen too many open micer guys uh that are doing the roast just go up there and they have the weakest joke because they thought it was brilliant they thought that they were brilliant uh but they didn't take the time to run it by anybody and find out that no i mean I, there's been many jokes that I've that people have read me to go do on that row. It's like, nah, that doesn't work. Oh, that's good. That right. keep that one or that. Nah, I don't think that connects really well. Or why don't you ask so and so? And yeah, I mean, you know, make it a team effort. I mean, you are delivering them. You have to be able to stay in the pocket while you're up there and and uh, maintain that thick skin and, and keep the rhythm. Like when uh, uh, what's his name, Josh Martin went up there and <laughs> just crumbled uh, on his first joke and like. You know, you can never really recover after that. You have to, to, to an extent, you have to have a level of, you know, performance in it. Yeah, that was his problem because I that was a very uncomfortable roast because I, I could feel the energy, uh, you know. And he had funny jokes. He showed me them before. And, uh, you know, Alex Phillips has this, you know, great confidence and like almost like a Rick Martell arrogance. And, you know, I think if Josh wouldn't have stumbled initially he would have like maybe won or, or done better because Alex was like a shark man he was just like as soon as Josh started to like kind of fumble around with the words he just attacked and uh, he flustered Josh but then Josh saved his comedy reputation oh he did with maybe the greatest line ever against greatest. Russell Peters the greatest of that night yeah uh, maybe that's got to be the greatest line ever in roast history to me when uh, you you know, so people not listening who weren't, or people listening, hopefully, who weren't there, uh, you know, the Alex Phillips beat Josh uh, pretty handily. So they had a fourth round where, uh, you know, Jeff Ross had Russell Peters go up there and they, and they started roasting uh, Russell, who's the number one comic in the world. I mean, this guy made $22 million last year doing comedy. He's an arena comic. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's crazy. He plays where I go watch hockey games. Yeah. <laughs> Puts yeah. it all in perspective there. Uh, and I think uh, Josh's line was, you've got the money of Jay-Z and the talent of Jay Mandium. And, <laughs> 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 yeah, you know, Jay's a great guy, uh, Mandium, but, you know, he, he, some people, uh, you know, I don't know. It's weird how some comics are liked up there, some aren't, at the comedy store specifically. Well, I know what it is, too, man. I mean, any time you're pushing yourself like if you think that everyone cares about you when you get there or that they would find you interesting or that you think that they should know certain things about you when you push yourself on people at the comedy store automatic dislike i mean that's you really have to humble yourself when you walk between those that property line and yeah i mean i didn't say anything to anybody for months and i had a job there i was a guy i wore the t-shirt and i was working there not talking to anyone i was so scared because you know but that's like why you're one of the most well-liked guys up there and like you know uh 
there's others, uh, I won't say names, who just try too hard. It's the trying too hard because people think that like, oh, I need to, I need to, these people will like me if they knew I'm like this. You know, yeah. Try to be like, or, you know, kissing ass never helps. Or, and, and, you know, not being, I'll tell you this, if somebody's really cool and they're not funny, uh, they'll get, they'll get, they could get shat on for not being funny, but, you know, they'll get chances just for being a, a swell guy and, and. And not overstepping any boundaries. People are open to letting people become funny there. It's not that – I mean you have to be able to take being made fun of. I got rocked for years over there. But what did you get rocked for? Being good looking? I mean, you know, you're, I mean, you're uh, – I don't want to – I mean, you're skinnier than, than – I mean, you're uh, – maybe skinny is the wrong word. Uh, how would you describe your body well, type? very skinny, yeah. Like, you're not – but you're not like you're, – you're muscular, though. I mean, you're like – A little bit, but it's like – Not frail, body. but, you know – yeah, I think I think I got it mostly for just being the you know at the time I was the youngest guy at the comedy store. For a few years I was the youngest guy at the comedy store and and that didn't help and uh the fact that I'm not um you know, I'm not grotesque looking. Well, yeah, I mean you and Alex Phillips, I mean it almost uh pays I, to be. I had zero confidence and it was an easy target when I got there. But now I turned 21. All I wanted to do was be a. I waited. I used to drive by the comedies. I'm from you know Long Beach, Orange County ish area over there. Uh, so once I got a car, once I could drive, I was driving by the comedy store on the sunset, slowing down, looking in there. Couldn't wait to get in, trying to figure out who was a comedian hanging yeah, out there. Yeah, that's tough so up there. When I turned 21, I went straight there and just you know I thought my dreams were about to come true, but I I just. You know, it was tough, man. They 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 rocked me. There's guys over there, like, oh man, like trying to do stand up, and you have nothing, you have no idea how to do it. All you know is you're supposed to be funny, and you don't even know anything about yourself. You don't know what's funny about you. You just think you have to go up there, and you have three minutes, and that's all you get to prove yourself funny. And then and then you just, oh man, the worst part was the intros to going up. Oh yeah, or the comic, the host would be like, you know, this next comedian. Uh, <laughs> You know what? If you guys have to go to the bathroom now, because this is gonna suck. And was that O'Neill and Danish? O'Neill mostly, yeah. O'Neill did it, but those guys were so funny. You know, like I mean, that was the thing too. It's like they would heckle me from the back and destroy while I'm up on stage with all the attention on me, and just like I got nothing. And they're so so comfortable and so funny and smart, and I'm just I'm just getting eating it. I, I dreaded Sundays and Mondays for years. Because they were hardcore, man. I mean, you know. Yeah, but you know what, though? That's the way it should be over there. That's a hardcore place, and you want it. You have to have you have to have such thick skin to be a comedian. You're, you're putting yourself on the line every time you go on. I, I always say, like, you're only as funny as your last set. Oh, yeah. Especially at the comedy store. You know, you could bomb at the improv or, or laugh at you. You don't really bring it up ever again, but at the comedy store... You know, this is very, people want you to fail well, you up there. Meltdowns. I mean, that's that's where you go to have good public meltdowns. Oh yeah. That you just wish nobody ever saw. And, and people, Alex Moore said at one time, uh, he was like, you know what, you're going through all those embarrassing things that comedians, when they start out, they start in their hometown. They go through this there. You're going through it at the world famous comedy store. Oh yeah. But he's watching you eat shit for the first time. Oh yeah, and they love it too because uh, you know I said this the other night like. Comedy stores like the Slayer of uh, comedy clubs and the 
Laugh Factory is like the Bon Jovi. I mean, you know, it's like, you know, you, if you bomb at the comedy store, people start throwing shit at you, uh, you know, heckling you, you, you know, getting on the side mic and fucking with you, you know. But it's if you can get through that with some form of tact, you're respected up there, you yeah, know. Yeah, eventually you learn how to counter. Yeah, and if you counter fun, funnily, mm-hmm. That's a word. They you get respected. I mean, you got to stand up for yourself up there. Yeah, man. You I know, see people go up there and getting and crumbling and, and not coming back because they the people were too mean. But I I always thought that if I you know I started doing stand up, why would I kind of do stand up comedy? Right. But you do it all the way, and I knew the only way to do it was to for for it to really hurt. You know what I mean? I never. I mean, it's been so long. I've been bullied my whole life. I've always been a skinnier, smaller right. guy in, in weird, fucked up neighborhoods. But the comedy store, man, I thought I was a grown up when I got there. I thought I was, I was in my, hey, I'm in my twenties. I'm an adult, and I went there and, and felt like I was, you know, eight years old again. For, for well, it's you know, survival of the fittest up there, and like as soon as you prove you won't take shit from people, you're you're accepted and you know if you do take shit up there you know you're just swallowed up alive like you know there's that one uh older female comic you know uh you know that does the monday night sure you know what i'm talking yeah. about I was, she's actually nice to me so i won't say her name but uh she lets people give her shit and throw stuff at her on stage and heckle her and and then she starts you know like almost saying give me more like she thinks we're paying tribute to her and uh she's just eating up alive every time she's on stage uh-huh. and it's just like you know she's in her 50s man yeah. and, you know that's the thing that the comedy store age has no relevance up there if you're a nice person in your 20s or 50s you'll be loved if well, not that's what i love is like when you see a guy starting out comedy and he's you know grown man and he thinks that you know I, you know who are these fucking kids and they come and these kids rock him like uh, I, I love i love the guy that you know you really do comedy is something leslie jones says this i swear by this and this good is, dude Le- great man great man <laughs> leslie jones goes just know, kidding leslie you, every time you go on stage you must humble yourself before the crowd and i mean you must because if you don't you're gonna get leveled oh the get rotten down it doesn't th- let me ask you this earl you, how long have you done comedy um two, 15 years this year okay 14 you're, years you're a really talented comedian oh, funny thank you. Guy. likewise I you, uh i call you a comedic sniper because you're always back there on the grassy knoll and oh. uh, that doesn't offend you, does it? Like, I mean, no, no. Like grassy knolls. I, I mean, I wish I was doing it uh, on the stage some nights instead of uh, in the back, you know, row. But you know, that's uh, another subject for another too, podcast. Man. I wish too. I wish too. That I really do. You belong up there. But I, I've seen you. We've done shows together. Oh, no. I've seen you rock it on stage and off stage and in the back of the room. But let me ask you this: You've done comedy for like you've you've 14, enough, 15 years. You've done you've done it enough to have great sets. And to have horrible sets. Oh, absolutely! But the horrible sets outweigh the great ones. And and this is my question to you: When say you have a really rocking good set, I'll give it. You're at the improv, okay? And you and you slay the improv. How long does that 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 happiness from from the from the kill last for? How long does that like that enthusiasm for life go? You know, when you get off stage, right. you do well. You have that rush of like, oh yeah, yes, I did. I knew it. I knew it. You have that. I knew it. Probably for a day. 
for a day and then you really good well i mean then you kind of realize okay uh not that that meant nothing but uh like last night i had a great set at this show in fullerton uh it's charity show and uh, everyone did well and you know i uh I did really well. I just got into a zone and that feeling is somewhat leaving me right now because it's like, okay, that was last night. It was in Fullerton. No one, I mean, it was a sold out uh, charity show, but it's like, you know, okay, I'm still going up to the comedy store tonight at, you know, one to try and sneak on before Boone. Uh, So it's like, but you know, I got to start thinking a little more positively. Oh, me too. But I I really do feel that, that kind of, that, that really good feeling of, of killing that, that fades away so quickly for me because i know how bad i could be you know what i mean i know how bad i've been i know why these jokes work you know i know that not every crowd's gonna like me i'm gonna bomb again so when i do kill it doesn't i love it while i'm up there and i love it right when i get off and there's a good few hours and then i'm just well i you know there's gonna be um, there's more shows tomorrow and and who knows what what those are gonna bring like i said you're only as funny as your last set oh yeah it it just it goes away it's i feel it slipping away it's like uh it's like a uh kind of like a mushroom trip you know <laughs> when, when it when it starts wearing off you feel it like oh there it's leaving it's leaving oh yeah but you know, you just try and get back on, like uh, you know, in the next show, and try and recapture the gold. And uh, you know, I like doing this podcast because it's. By the way, this is the first podcast I've ever done standing. Both guests. I love this. This is I, great. I, I think this is the way. I mean, it's so interesting because I, I. This is what I do at night. Yeah, I mean, we are at fifty-five minutes. We've been standing for fifty-five minutes, and you know, usually I'm there, the guest is there, but I, you know, I'm. I don't really know what I'm doing in terms of the sound. I mean, now it's we're on board, but uh, how long have you been doing this podcast? Uh, this is this will be the nineteenth uh, episode, so probably a couple months. Ari Manis, another that's another young dude who's oh, yeah. super super nice guy. He's the one who uh, helped. He set uh, you up. He sets up people like this. He did uh, Jason Rouse too. I. I I introduced them and he, he helped him out. But he's already smart because he's got a technical talent that will get him in uh, almost kind of like what Red Band did. He used his technical talents to get in with comics and now he's getting on good shows. And that's the thing too is like he, he has that ability but he's also a funny kid. Yeah, no, he, he did. actually is funny. He's actually I A lot of times when somebody's good at stuff outside of the funny part, it's always they lack in that. They lack in the right. part when they're they're technically sound other places, whether it be networking or you know setting up a podcast studio. But that guy actually is well rounded. Well, yeah, he hosted the show last night, and he was so like, for lack of a better word, cute. I'm like, hey, do you want a regular spot? You know, and you you want me to host? So you know, you've done a lot of work for me. Why don't I host? And oh, you got to. So and he's like, no, no, man, I, I'll host, and uh, you know, I'm sure they won't like me, but I'll host, and they loved him. So it's okay. just, he's, you know, he reminds me a lot of when I first met you, like just humble and and quiet. I mean, uh, I think that's what attracts me to him too. Yeah, he's just hum- he's a very humble guy and. He also is a hustler in that he runs shows. Another thing, like who, how many people do you know that runs a show that are actually funny also on top? Not many. Not many. There are some, not many. And he, uh, and he just started out. I mean, he's only going to get better. But uh, don't you love when you see that when there's, there's a new crop of dudes coming in and uh, you could just see the ones that you're going to know for the rest of your life. Oh, yeah. You know who's in it for the long haul. Yeah, you know who's in it for the long haul. You know, you, you know, and then you see the, 
the young comics who are like already in between our age and your age glomming on to like you know like following these more known comics around not even really going up but just staying in their inner circle it's yeah. like what are you guys doing that's ain't gonna help no, no, so no. but you know maybe it will i don't know so i mean the comedy you know what's a if you really want to be a great comedian, you, you really do have to love it. And if you love it, you want to do everything it takes to learn more and more about it. You'll never start. You'll never stop learning more about it. But networking is a skill that I lacked probably the first probably 12 years where I was just like, fuck it, I'll work hard and everyone loves me. But I didn't really, you know, like I started with Whitney Cummings. Like I probably started, Dave Taylor said, you know, we started before her, but I kind of came up with her. And there was a time where like I would be put on before her, like, cause, oh, Earl. And then like she just, but she was networking. Like after show, she would find the person in the room who, who could help her. And I'd be like, you know, going to watch hockey fight tapes at my house. You know, I should have done what she did. Right, yeah. You know. I, I feel like I'm missing out on all those networking opportunities now. And You got to do it, man. I'm, I'm, I'm 28, so, like, my 20s are, are coming to an end, and, like, maybe that was the time to do it. But you know what? I I I come from the, the school of become great and then have something to network. Oh, have but something to show people. And uh, just now, in the, in the last year, is the first time where I've been like, okay, well, all right, I should get a website. People are asking me where am I next, and they're they're asking me for business cards and and stuff like that. And I feel like that's a, I don't know. There's honor in that that I earned, at least for me. I, I could be completely failing. No, I mean, yet. there's no. That's the great thing about comedy. There's no right or wrong way. I mean, you know, you get what you get when you get it. Just be ready for it. You Just know, be ready for it. So, uh, you know, like when I, my first TV, uh, audition I did for Barry Katz on some dating show, uh, called one night stand up. I thought, Oh, I got this nailed, man. I saw like guys like Ian bag looking at a set list, moving things around. I'm like, what are you doing that for, man? Just wing it. And I bombed worse than I've ever bombed in my life. So, and that was like a huge, um, is that the comedy store actually? It's full comedy store. It's funny when you have a big show in front of you and you, and you feel so ready for like you actually like in all the times where you haven't felt prepared for something like when you actually feel prepared for a show and then you you pretty quickly while you're on stage realize like oh this isn't going the way that I thought. It oh, I was awful. Have to let go of that dream that like but while maintaining the composure because you're literally performing you're also battling these thoughts at the same time. I mean, you know, it was a packed comedy store. Uh, Whitney was the host. And uh, my first, the, the thing was, it was called One Night Stand Up. Um, it was a dating show. The girl never saw you. She just heard your act. So I thought it would be funny. This is right around the Duke lacrosse case. I said, I'll start with a rape joke. And it's like, now I go, oh my God, that's insane. And uh, so I was like, yeah, you know, the captain of the lacrosse team, uh, he had a degree in economics. So if anyone knew 47 didn't go into two, it should have been that guy. And literally I heard nothing but Dave Taylor in the back laughing. I'm like, oh man, that's not good. So, you know, I think if nobody laughed, David Taylor's laughing, you're in some shit. Well, the point was, you know, I wasn't ready. I thought I was ready. I thought, oh, I'll just, I've been having great shows for a month previous to that, you know, uh, and then it just, you know. I always wonder about guys that, that had to fight Mike Tyson back in his prime. That right. Like, you know, they're going into it and they're getting their world title fight. They've earned the right to fight the champ and they've trained so hard and so many months and so mentally being prepared for it, physically being prepared for it. Everyone they've ever known from their entire life is watching, if not there at the arena. And 
this is it. You're getting paid. You have a purse of a few million. Like this is, let's do this. And then you get knocked out in the first few seconds. It's like, oh, I wasn't ready. Well, I don't know who could be ready for Mike Tyson. Uh, Buster Douglas. Well, Buster Douglas kicked. I cried at that fight. I mean, but that was like the Black Rocky. I mean, you know, yeah. I mean, it really was. I mean, he just lost his mom like two weeks before the fight. He was just kind of almost like club level fighter that no one really fought a few known dudes, but oh. and he kicked Tyson's ass that night. Yeah. No one. Yes. No one gives him credit for that. They're all oh, Tyson took him lightly. It's, he he got his ass kicked. Tyson did, didn't do this. He was on lithium. The, the entire time, he was Mike Tyson. Yeah, I mean, he's still Tyson. Yeah. And then, you know, Douglas didn't really help the next fight against Holyfield where he had, like, tits. Oh, and, no, like, no. You know. The highest diabetes, and he's, he's, like, an active... Yeah, active in that world. So you know, Buster Douglas. Yeah, James Buster Douglas, man. You know what though? That's what I. I mean, like that is his heyday. It was one day, and it will never be forgotten. I mean, I guess it has been forgotten. You don't even people don't. But that's like the greatest upset. Douglas, like they talk about Mike Tyson. You don't yeah. Even talk about Buster Douglas until you get to the point where oh, Mike Tyson's first loss. Tyson's There's no real legacy other than that. Yeah, I mean, he didn't have a great uh, career, but you know, hey, he beat the. What a great story, and it's like that should be that's satisfying enough. I mean, for him, I, he seems like a happy guy. I mean, he, yeah, he's last content. Time I saw him on a thing. It was for it was on some talk show about talk about diabetes and. Well, you know, he manage it. He fucking ballooned up to like four hundred pounds. Yeah. It's like, oh man, you. you you're not going to have diabetes. You're going to have a heart attack, bro. You got to like, cause you know, he's from the South, I think. So he probably his whole life been eating, I mean, that's, Bullshit. you know, fried foods and all fried that stuff. Bullshit. So, but you know, for that one night in Tokyo, <laughs> 1988, man, he beat his ass. Oh, man. And if he would have trained for Holyfield, he, I'm not saying he would have beat him, but you know, he got the $24 million contract, which was a ton of money back then. Now they get that per fight. Yep. Uh, and he just, he probably, guy that probably was penniless literally until a couple of years before that Tyson fight was like $24 This will last 10 lifetimes, and he's probably broke. He's set. I mean, but these guys, I lived in a building with uh, the first drummer from Guns N' Roses. Oh, wow. And he's broke. Oh. And he drummed on the number one debut album of all time. Oh, man. I mean, he probably got 50, 60, 75 cents a, a you know copy sold and that's like 20 million records so i don't know what that is but that's a lot of money and he's like always hitting me up for 10 bucks in the lobby oh man so I'd be honored to give him 10 bucks i mean the first time i did but then like the ninth time it's like dude you, you drummed on appetite shouldn't you be giving me some money but he was the nicest guy on earth but you know it's the same thing with the wrestlers dude you look at guys from piper's era oh yeah you know, you think a guy like Mike Rotundo, Mr. Wall Street, saved his money? He probably didn't really have that much. Sid Vicious? Uh, oh, poor guy. You know, he might have done all right because he probably made toward the end a few million a year. Yeah, but he really, that's a horrible injury that ended his Oh, life. his foot when he jumped he off. Well, well, he shouldn't have, like, been jumping Too off the top second old. rope. You know, I mean, the sky, I'm amazed that Scott Steiner is still alive. The Warrior oh, died. Yeah. He probably juiced more than Warrior. Absolutely. He's a monster. I mean, look at him. I mean, at least Warrior had, like, some like level, not, I mean, some skin. I mean, Scott Steiner's like a, 
steel. He, yeah, he looks like a bunch of rocks on top of each other. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't even look appealing. I like that uh, Egyptian headdress thing oh, he would the, wear. The, the metal. Like the, yeah, that looked dope. You know, Scott Steiner was, when I was a kid, that guy was so scary. It scared me that that walked the same planet as me. It's like, how do you get like that? Yeah, he was such a douchebag. That was his character. A great bad guy. Yeah, man. I liked him in the, in the wolf pack. That was, yeah. Well, that was just too many dudes. That's when the, the, it should have been Hall Nash and uh, the Hogan, and then just leave it at that. Control. Like the Shield, you know, it's like the Shield is badass because it's just those three dudes. Mm -hmm. It wouldn't be good if you had like Jack Swagger join them. No, and, no, no. It's and perfect how it is. And you know what? All three of those guys are so great in their own right that even when that when that ends, when the Shield ends, they're gonna have you're just gonna have three great wrestlers out there that. And that would be. I love to see those guys go head to head, especially that. Um, I really like that Roman Reigns. He's great. I mean, he's Superman punch. He's the next star in, in wrestling. I mean, you could that, that other guy. Who's the guy? In the, I like Ambrose. Ambrose. Yeah, yeah. I, I like his look. I think he just looks like a cool, like a greasy. Yeah. You know, I mean, he did some like pro wrestling guerrilla type shows. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, very small independent shows where he was like a maniac and like doing triple backflips. And he's really talented. You know, those guys. That's the thing about the those the pro wrestling guerrilla guys. It's like they the risks they take and the stuff they do is so innovative. Because pro wrestling's been around for so long that like comedy you can't be hacky with it you have to find new ways of getting to these old moves or new variations on moves or or new moves altogether. and and those guys man they are artists there's this guy willie mack he's just this fat guy that can move like the wind and he's he's throwing i mean what's cool about that pwg too you're so in the action that you literally have to move out of the way or else somebody's right. gonna land on top of you I, I i met one guy in the bathroom there that was ice in his shoulder because some 300 pound man got power bombed on top of him didn't move out of the way quick enough that's crazy so it's, like, it's like no insurance there you know what i mean like you go in there you're risking getting getting landed on well, it's like when I used to go to the XPW shows at Birmingham High. It was like crazy the stunts they would do. Very no insurance, no nothing. I mean, uh, this guy Supreme was unbelievable. He's like a probably like a five foot six seven King Kong Bundy, probably three four hundred pounds. But he like the guy you were just talking about. He could move and he would take these unbelievable bumps and like. But XPW had no budget, so like they had him crawl up a ladder once, probably a 40, 50 foot ladder, and the ladder was so shitty it broke. As he's at the top of it, and for some reason they had uh, three sides of the ring had the ropes, the fourth side didn't. So he fell against the the edge of the uh, right on his rib. Oh no! Like rib cage, and he, I was sitting next to his wife. Oh! And his or his girlfriend, who and, and with a kid, a two year old kid, and she starts crying. He literally didn't move for twenty minutes. I thought, oh my god, he's dead or he's paralyzed. He gets up finally. They put him back on another ladder. Oh, you dumbass! Where they had this table of barbed wire, broken light bulbs, nails, all that shit uh, on the very small like gymnasium mat apron outside the guy pushes him the ladder was so tall 
he overshot the table <laughs> and fell right onto the concrete floor, like no padding. And this guy was an animal. And I'll never forget him like limping to the back and all the wrestlers in the back, you know, because I was looking through the curtain where he like gave him a standing ovation. And I, I said to his girlfriend, how much is he getting paid for this? She's like, $175 oh. cash, no, no insurance, no nothing. Uh, and he still feels that. Oh, he was amazing. And they had some wacky fucking, they were like ECW, but with no budget. Yeah, that's what I. That's the closest thing I could compare PWG to. It's that same vibe. I'd always, whenever I'd watch ECW, I've always wanted to be a part of that that crowd. Yeah, I really felt that in that in that show. You know, without the the ladders and tables and and concussions, these guys are true professionals. Oh yeah, but I mean, you talk, you know, talk about WWE guys and WCW guys killing themselves, and it's like, what are these guys gonna do? I mean, they made no fucking money, and yeah. their bodies are done. Yeah, you know, New Jack. I mean, oh, uh, New Jack. I got the best New Jack story. Let's hear it. I gotta sit down, man. My uh, have a seat. Oh yeah, please, no, please. Uh, um, when I started at the comedy store, uh, I worked the phones during the day, and I basically had to, you know, people would call in to want to go to the show and I'd set them up or comedians would call for different reasons or whatever. But I, I would be on the phones and one day, I mean, you're in there for hours. You're in there from you're it's an all day shift and you're really not doing anything but answering the phone, but it's a lot of time of just sitting there. Right. And, uh, one day I was sitting in there and somebody calls and some guy he's trying to become a comedian because we get that call a lot. Like, Oh, how do I, you know, I'm yeah. funny, man. How do I get up on stage? And you have to give him the whole, spiel about signing up on the open mic this guy calls says he wants to be a comedian i tell him about the open mic he's like that's cool man well uh hey listen um i'm actually a professional wrestler and my ears go up like, oh he's like yeah my name is new jack and i'm like new the new jack he's like have you heard of me and i was like hell yeah aren't you the guy that stabbed somebody he's like yeah and then and then he goes uh so I'm like, dude, no, 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 man, come right in, man. I'll take care of you. Like, I was so stoked that I'm right. talking to New Jack that I'm inviting this maniac over to my place of work. Um, but we start talking, and he tells me the story about how he stabbed that guy. And then, uh, you know, through chit-chat, and he's like, well, hey, man, I, I just uh, made a DVD of some of my greatest matches. How about I send it to you? And, I, and then he sent me a DVD autograph of just his New Jack's greatest hits. And luckily, I never had to see him. Like, he never showed up. Because I actually got really excited that, like, I'm going to bring New Jack to the comedy. Right. And then Brett Ernst, uh, at the time, had just got done working for that. Remember when MTV? MTV uh, what was that called? Lethal. Yeah, I don't remember the name, but I remember. X-Pac was in it. Right. Real bottom feeders. Right. Well, I don't know if... I guess maybe New Jack was a part of that, or I don't know if he was, but somehow Brett had met New Jack, and when I was telling Brett Ernst, because Brett is kind of a wrestling fan. Oh, yeah. And uh, he was like, he's like, no, 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 no. Don't bring that guy. He's he's a fucking maniac. And then I've heard stories of him going to comedy shows and getting drunk and oh, yeah. some big scenes and shit, so I really dodged a bullet there. Well, I mean, out of it though. Well, uh, he went to one of those comedy shows that Gail was running at uh, Lucky Strike, and uh, oh, no shit. he sat in the cornered booth, and I instantly knew who he was. And uh, after the show, he's like, he he's, he extends his hand. He's like, "Hey, man, you were really funny." And I went to shake his hand. He grabs my hand and headbutts me. Oh, 
And it was kind of cool, but it kind of hurt, to be That's honest with you. awesome. It probably didn't uh, hurt him at all, because his forehead's all fucking jacked up. And, you know, scars, and, like, he looks like a young Abdullah the Butcher. Minus, By the way, if you're ever in Atlanta, go to Abdullah's Ribs, where Abdullah is behind the grill. No. Yeah. Oh, I would love that. Yeah, I mean that, but that I'm goes. Even, I don't even like ribs, but I would go for that. How great would that be to look at him sweating over your food? It would be like the great one, that one. <laughs> when he had the cookouts. Dave Taylor barbecue, where the great one, and the great one's a black comic. For those of you who don't know, he kind of looks like buckwheat. Uh, he's a very mysterious guy. You know, I knew him when he did comedy, and he's really funny. He dresses like a ghost at a hotel. Yeah, and he had the, a heat lamp fell on him once at a nightclub. So he had this huge gaping open wound, and uh, he didn't go to the hospital for bad insurance or whatever. So he's cooking the burgers and dogs at Dave Taylor's Barbecue, and he doesn't have any bandage over his open wound. Like, blood and gunk are, are literally dripping. It was pretty hot that day, and he's got, like, this zoot suit on. And he's dripping his like bodily fluids over the burgers, and uh, you know he's like chewing tobacco, and it's like falling out of his mouth and like into the grill. And I'm like, you know. And then when he would take a break, PJ <laughs> would would man the grill, who might be even more gross. I don't know if anyone is uh, as gross as the great one in terms of like uh, hygiene. Yeah. I yeah. mean, PJ. You know what? PJ is historically gross. He's 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 probably a clean guy, like the, yeah. But you know, once you hear about all the tampons he's pulled out of women with his mouth, it just I don't I don't want that guy cooking my burger. Well, I'd rather have uh, I'd rather burger cook my burger. I'd rather well, you know, I I <laughs> a burger burger. Mm -hmm. uh, I'd rather have Big Rod put my burger between his armpits, and uh, you, you know. I mean, there's so many characters at the comedy yeah, store. I, I mean, I, I feel bad for dropping these references that people. I know. You just have to know that everybody that that we're bringing up, we we really put them in the right context for it to be funny, and they're all disgusting. And uh, <laughs> I mean, the point is, PJ is a, is filthy, and so is Burger and. You know the podcast is coming to an end when we start out with Don. <laughs> we start out with Donald Sterling, and we're dropping Big Rod references. Who I still to this day don't know what he does, but oh, I he, got in a fight with him. I felt bad because he was snoring. A physical fight. I think I was there that night. Yeah. Well, yeah, he was snoring. He he'd come in and he would just he would snore in the back of the room, and I never really had an issue with it because it'd be in the original room and super late and I, whenever i'm in the original room I, I really do take whatever happened the, the room is bigger than me so whatever happens just i'll it, it's gonna have to add to the show i can't fight it so him snoring in there w wasn't the issue but actually i had a main room uh a main room spot and i was really excited about it because i hadn't really done the main room before and uh you know you know tommy is when you get us when he gives you anything well, this is no i don't jail, you know and he puts that <laughs> I don't know that actually. <laughs> well, well, let me tell you. Well, as soon as he gives you something, he's gonna make it like it's it's your uh, it's your graduation, and your whole family's gonna be there. He puts that kind of pressure on it, like this is you know this matters. This is part of you getting to the next level. And yeah, you know this is maybe a year ago. Not not it's really not that big of a deal, but it was my main room. Well, show. Sure, I was excited to do it. I was excited not beyond past one. You know. Uh, and then it's barely anybody in there. Same same 
shitty conditions as usual, but I like that. You know, I like I like connecting mm. with people, and uh, they just hear snoring from the back. I'm like, oh Rod, come on, man! I was so excited, and he's like, he says something like, he says something. He insults me for waking him up somehow. What's you, know, it? you know what he says? He goes, "What, man? I got diabetes. Like that. That made it okay." What is he, uh, Buster Douglas? <laughs> They they do bear a striking resemblance now. Yeah, yeah, they'd probably round the same weight. But but I mean that's what makes the comedy story the best. Like at the improv, if you were in the back sleeping, you'd get like a lifetime ban. They'd be like, hey man, this is a comedy club. At the comedy store, at several points in the evening, if you're sleeping, they're giving you a pillow. Yeah, but they they've cracked down recently. Uh, but you know, I would say right around that time and and before that. You would have three different people sleeping in the back of the OR. Mm -hmm. You'd have Peanut in the far corner. <laughs> You'd have Big Rod in the middle and Eddie Whitehead Jr. in the left. And it was just like uh, Big Doc, Rod. Doc taking a quick power nap before he gets back to the lot. <laughs> yeah. Working there. So he, I, I, that's totally cool, but. Oh, Doc's the best. But I mean, it's like no other comedy club in the world would let, uh, you know, you know, if Jamie saw that at the Laugh Factory, he'd have a heart attack. Yeah, he'd move back to Palestine. Oh, yeah. uh, so, but that's why the store is the store. It's just that it's is why the store. And that's why I don't really mind the shittiness of the store. All the gunk that that's there, and and like even Boone, I think it adds it. It, it gives it spice, and I think, like you said, man, it is it is what makes the store the store. It's the the bullshit of it all. I mean, it's like the bar in Star Wars, man, where yeah, you have. Like Every what's that bar called? The Cantina. Yeah, you have every unsavory character in the world of comedy coming to the store, and then you're with Russell Peters. Oh yeah, you have the full spectrum of comedy. Like last night, I'm talking to Boone, whose breath smelt Boone Shakalaka, homeless comics steal stuff. Breath smells like the four. Oh my god, dude, his breath last night smelled like Big Rod's ass. I mean, just awful. And I turn the corner, and I'm talking to Dave Attell two seconds later. Probably ate Big, Big Rod's ass. Yeah, I mean, he literally... Dave Attell's there. Yeah, that, yeah. That's, that's how it is. I mean, you you're, you got the whole... You have all of comedy. Yeah, I mean, literally, from A to Z, the Z, there's no other place like that in the world in the in terms of LA comedy where you can talk with, the, you know, the number one money-making comic from last year in the last couple of years, probably of all time at this point. And the comic who's made the least amount of money ever in Boone Shakalaka. Actually, he's made a lot of money. Uh, well, selling stuff. Yeah, just stolen, stolen merchandise. But that's why the store is great. And it's, you know, whores. Uh, I mean, Saturday night, it was like an ant farm of whores just, you know, walking around. Uh, what's the belly room? And every comic's ears perk up like coyotes. And, that's great. Uh, and so, you know... Yeah, that's funny. And I, whenever I always love when there's like a new girl that starts up, like even if she's like a comedian, like a girl starts like comedy, all the dogs that come out of the woodwork. Oh yeah, offering I mean, spots and advice. Oh yeah, I mean, there's one right now in particular that I'm friends with. I think I think I know who you're talking about without you saying anything else. But everyone. But I probably, uh, and everyone's trying to bone her. They're all promising her stuff. And, and, you know, it's like, you know, I'm trying to help her, uh, you, you know, is it, your, uh, is it your partner? 
Uh, you know, I'm not. But, yeah, but we, everyone thinks that's the funny thing is everyone thinks we're fucking. When, whenever I when I first saw that girl, I knew that that. I mean, you just know, like when a girl that a pretty girl starting out there is, just, I feel so bad for them because they're getting such such false uh, friendship. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, and I'm not guy. Uh, that that's what I really feel for women that start comedy because. You know, as a as a especially a young comedian, I love having you know like there's older guys have been doing comedy for for decades longer than me that will take me out to get a drink and we'll talk comedy and we'll talk about those deep things. They become mentors and 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 it's people I really look up to and they and they they're there to help and I and that's kind of the rhythm of comedy is that every generation helps its last. You know, I mean not everybody in the generation, but that you know like you open for comedians that are bigger than you. And it goes with it goes off stage too. Like they, you know, you're, you're you you have help as a man in, in comedy from it's like a, a college professor that you could get lunch with. And when you're a girl, it's so it's so divided because, you know, these older guys are. It's not that they're trying to help them; they're trying to fuck them. Well, that's what I, you know. And that's the big mind fuck that they have to go through. Like, do I need? Is he helping me, or is he trying to sleep with me? And that I just feel I don't know. That's why I've, I don't hit on I I well I don't really hit on girls at all. But girls, you're I mean I'm as straight as a pole, but you're a good looking dude. So girls are gonna hit on you. Yeah, that's how I get laid. But uh, I I don't. I don't like hitting on girls because I feel like it's dishonest because if I were to hit on girl, you go up and you start talking, you know, well, where are you from? Or the intent isn't the questions you're asking them. The intent is to fuck them. So the whole time I'm kind of just, I'm being dishonest because all I want to get to is the fucking part. I'm going through the motions of, so I, I don't, I'd rather just not do that and, and, uh, and, and not feel like a creep, but especially when it comes to a, a girl who's a comedian that's just trying to figure out what it's like to be in comedy. And and it's so scary because it's so new to them. They're going through the same things we are, only they have less support. That's why women stick together and they become that, there's that kind of feminist, they're like groups of, uh, they're like, like groups of girls that are, they have their own girls show and fuck guys. And I, uh, not fuck guys the good way. Like, you know, fuck them. Well, that's, I mean, the last two girls I've tried to give this advice to, you know they get offended and they're like oh every they like me because i'm funny it's like oh man you better you might be funny i'm not saying that but but, you know they just want to fuck you yeah you know and and like the one of them i I won't say the actor's name but it's an a-level actor Mm -hmm. a-list i mean top of the food chain he sent her a text saying why don't you come over to my house and read scripts with me and that's like the standard line for a high level actor it's just it is and this guy has an acting school he's well known for (laughs) farming girls from this school and uh this girl's so naive She's great, very funny, model looks. Uh, she's like, oh, his girlfriend's out of town. He just wanted me to come over to read scripts. I'm like, yeah. Do you think you'd be getting that invite if the girlfriend was in town? Yeah, there you go. It's a great way of looking at it. So the girlfriend comes back in town. He hasn't called her since. So it's like so-and-so. And she's like really, she, t- you know, she's like so pure about the business. You know, she's like, oh, you think, yeah. You think that's what he wanted to do? It's like, what? Yeah, it's really sad. Girls are really are alone when they start longer than guys are. Because the thing is, I mean, I, I mean, I do say 
I, I really do think men and women are equal in as far as ability goes because a woman can be as funny as a guy. They could oh yeah through all of that and rise above and and, and it's hard for anybody to compete. We all have we all have things that set us back. So it's not like their problems are worse than ours. They're just different, and that's just one of them. And I feel like I could. I can't help with that, but I, I don't have to be a part of the problem. So I, I really don't. I, I mean, and there's some cute girls that start standing up and they're my age. And they're also the only girls that I'm really around a lot that, of course, I'd love to hook up with them. But I just think there's got to be a right. It, it just if it's going to happen, it's got to be the conditions have to be right. And they have to be as into it, as openly into it as me. Or else I'm a fucking creep, dude. There's a ton of creepy dudes that are... Oh, dude, I see it when I had a girlfriend, Gail. Every fucking night at the comedy store and in other places, I'd see comics hug her and hold on for an extra, you know, two seconds because she, you know, she had, you know, whatever, uh, bigger boobs than most. And, uh, you know, it's like, you don't think I see that? (laughs) You know, it's like comics are pigs up at the store. But, you know, they're great guys. Yeah, they're great guys to us. So you don't have a girlfriend. Have you ever heard, like, you know when, like, you meet a girl that, uh, and she tells you about like how shitty your friends are or how creepy they are. Yeah. Some of the lines that your friends have dropped on them. Like, oh yeah. It's, so fu- it's funny because you know him as a dude, that's your friend, but like their, their perspective was, Oh no, he's a fucking creep. He has to, Oh yeah. The first night we met. Oh my God. I, I just, uh, one of the girls I'm giving advice to, uh, she shows me the texts that she gets from our mutual for our friends. And it's like, Oh dude, it's like, you know, these guys are animals up there, but they smell blood. They smell a new girl, new, yeah. new meat. It's a race to be the first one to, to boner, you know, and, and then the floodgates are open. I mean, you've seen it with waitresses up there, you know, it, oh, yeah. well, waitresses. It's like, not that I feel any less for them, but you know, they're in a, they're, they really are fair game because they're girls that are just working at the place. It's not about rising up the ranks of being a waitress. They're there. And a lot of times people that you hook up with are people you work with. So, Oh, sure. That's, that's I mean, nobody should be creepy to any woman ever, but uh, when it comes to like, you know, courting somebody, a waitress, I don't, I, I know a lot of people now it could fuck you up. You could, you don't want to be stupid and, and ruin your relationship with the club. I mean, that's a whole different, that's a different issue. I just think women doing comedy, like if you're going to hook up, I'm not saying don't hook up with each other. Comedians, of course, I think totally comedians should hook up with each other because you're always around each other. You understand each other, but you have to have that understanding and it has to be private and by has to be, it doesn't have to be private. Just don't exploit each other. Don't be disrespectful. Uh, one of my girlfriends, you know, I'm Melissa V senior was, my girlfriend for about two years and like, like I would never, I couldn't say anything bad about her. She's a, a comedian. She's mm. an active working comedian for me to say something about like my ex-girlfriend, uh, Melissa, I can't, I can't do that because no matter what, it'd be out of context. I'm talking about a comedian. I'm not talking about just my ex-girlfriend. Oh yeah. Whereas, you know, like, you know, we could talk about funny sluts that we've been with and like, Oh yeah, I mean yeah. nasty pigs that we've uh at the comedy store. I mean just we've all taken tours and given them and oh, dude, I have a small trough at my house that <laughs> I keep dirty just for Yeah. I mean, you know, it's the comedy store is uh it's the greatest place on earth. I mean I really do feel for that girl though that 
that that you know well i'm trying to you know it's she's like so pretty but the thing is she's actually really funny she does great on that thing and you know what i'm talking about right oh that thing yes it, she's so quick on that i'm like i'm like well it's like kind of mind-bending funny oh she's but, awesome but you know it's sad because like that's what a mind fuck that is because you almost don't want to tell her like do you think it's because it's because he thinks i'm funny then you're like well it might actually be because he thinks you're funny well, it's like even with the, another person we both know, uh, I like to keep things anonymous on this show. Uh, that's how I've lived my comedy life. Everyone loves me because I, I don't expose uh, dirt openly. Uh, but uh, she had these baboons chasing her, telling her how great she was, and, and she's very funny. And, and I'm like, you know, they're just trying to fuck you, man. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, they're not. They think I'm funny. Uh-huh. It's like... You can't tell a girl that because it's so offensive to them. Well, I get it. If I was, you know, like I remember uh, like when I was uh, dating my previous girlfriend, Shelly, who I don't think you ever met. Uh, no, we'll wrap it up soon. Uh, no, I, no I'm, take your time. No, 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 no. I mean, you know, it's like, you know, because we're, uh, I find if we go past like an hour and 45 minutes, it switches over to another audio file. I don't know how to. Oh, like, yeah, yeah. But, well, yeah, but uh, let me see what we're at. But uh, my uh, ex-girlfriend, Shelly's an awesome person. Um, you know, when, uh, you know, Gail first started coming around, uh, you know, she, she would laugh overtly at my jokes and flirt with me, and I was so in denial of that. Shelly would be like, you know, that girl wants to fuck you. And I'm like, no, she doesn't. You don't think she just thinks I'm funny? And that was really one of the reasons we broke up initially because I was so offended by like, oh, you know, you don't think that, you know, that girl might just think I'm pretty funny, dude. And she's like, no, she wants to fuck you. I know it. And girls know. And guys know. Uh, and sure enough, Shelly was 100% right. Yep. And way more than just wanting to fuck you. How long were you? Six and a half years. So, I mean, uh, you know, so, and there were guys in... Uh, Gail's world where you know uh, Gail's really funny comic bartender but you know I'd go into these bars she works at and you know see these sleazy fucking city dwellers uh, and I'm like Gail he's he's trying to fuck you you know and and we sometimes get into it like you know guys are pigs man girls are pigs too I mean we're all pigs but you know it's like that's the thing too like in the end like everyone wants to have sex so it's like yeah, and, uh, and if you're good looking, you you don't even have to be young necessarily. Just no, not at all. Uh, you know, but like I I would see these old guys coming to Gail's bars. Oh, I can get you into the movie business and all that bullshit. And I see that with uh, some other girls. I'm trying to you know, I think young girls at the comedy store look at me as like a father figure. Yeah, because I'm you know in most cases 20 years older than them. Right. So they trust hey, you're me. Really not threatening. Because uh, I'm not trying, you know, I do what I do uh, in my own world and I get my jollies off mm-hmm. and uh, I'm not trying to uh, fuck these young comics because, uh, you know, I don't think a lot of them are funny. So it's hard for me to fuck someone who's not funny. Yeah. <laughs> but that's a hang up for me. Yeah, same here, man. I'm like a chicken that. 
right. Yeah, I mean, it's just so hard to fake it. I can't fake laugh. You know, and, and they do bits on you and like, you know, oh boy, I don't know if I could do this. And then you're in them two minutes later because you're horny. But, <laughs> you know, so, but, you know, I think we know, well, yeah, you I know. turn a blind eye every now and then. It's tough. I mean, there's, uh, I mean, you know, we'll talk off air but when we'll name names, but, you know, you know, what are you going to do? But listen, we're at the hour and 30 mark. See, my goal is, I think this, I mean, it doesn't even seem like we've done an hour and a half. Uh, you know, I know there's the 10 minute podcast with Delia and Callan and that's great. I like going long on these things. If it's interesting. Yeah, absolutely. We had some fun stuff. But you'll be, as Rat would say, you'll be back for more. Uh, oh, I'd love to. I mean, this is, you know, maybe we'll get Hinchcliffe in on the night. I know this is a big week for him, so I didn't want to disturb his, uh, right, yeah. you know, I mean, it's the nitty gritty for that. The roast battle the Thursday. Thing, like, I don't think he can lose. He well. It's too much shit. He, well, the, here's the thing, and and this is. Uh, lose with humility and people would applaud him. Yeah. You know what I mean? And he would still be great at it. And and Tony, who's never done this, if he loses, you well, know, man, he thinks he's the greatest. And then he would really have to question that. Well, this is going to be Tony's. Tony has more to lose. As well. Oh, absolutely. Because Tony has created this heel like, you know, uh, Rick Martel, Rick Rude, uh, you know, million dollar man, you know, like. Who would, who would these guys be in the world of wrestling? Oh, I think uh, Tony would be uh, that, those three guys that I just named. And Jesus would be like Tito Santana, like the, the good, <laughs> the good Mexican guy you always root for. But here's the thing. And, and Tony might take offense to me saying this. And I would say this if he was in this room, cause I love him. Uh, he's one of my, uh, you know, he's like a little brother to me uh, up there. You know, I don't think Tony realizes maybe how many comics want to see him go down. Yeah. And, uh, let's just say a lot of them are giving Jesus jokes. So yeah. it's like, you know, in the, in, I think Tony's problem is one, everything Jesus is going to say is going to be fresh. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's going to be, and he might know what's coming, but still it's going to, you know, Tony's in a, a, a pattern now of doing the kill Tony show, which is great every Monday night at the store, but where he kind of rips into these open micers and they don't really rip them back because they're scared. And they're like, you know, almost like you take your beating. It's like joining a fraternity. And, you know, that's not going to happen Thursday. Oh, Jesus will rip back. And rip hard. And, you know, if you know some of the guys, you know, I'm sure Jesus will use most of his own stuff. But, you know, some of the other writers. He's going to be a nervous wreck the entire time. He's he, Jesus is humble to the end. Like, even after when he, the Jamar roast that he won, he was shaking for hours after that. He had been through trauma. Oh, yeah. He was nervous. Let me tell you something. I respect both guys. I I respect anyone who's done the roast, even the bad ones. I mean, just being so close to the stage as I am, it ain't easy, man. I mean, it's the energy in there is like literally an ECW fucking, uh, you know, I mean, that one roast with Eric Marino and Jerron and Eric flubbed one of his jokes and he tried to start over and the crowd just got ate him up alive. And then he just... I don't know, it bombed out. And, uh, you know, what was another, uh, even like, uh, when Virginia, no, was it who, not Virginia, uh, the, oh, these two female, uh, um, I won't say their names cause they're both cool people, but it wasn't maybe the strongest of roasts and the crowd was just unmerciful on them. Yeah. Uh, so it's like, yeah, but you know what though? You deserve it. I mean like, oh yeah, you, you sign up for it. Sign up for it. 
You know, it's like if me and you ever did it against each other, we're two of the most well-liked guys up there. But if either one of us flubbed a joke or flubbed a line or just told a bad joke, the crowd would get nuts. Yeah, it's not about, it's about the, it's the show. Yeah, it's so it's, but you know, it'll be interesting to see who has the best rebuttals. Uh, You know, Jesus is pretty quick and Tony's great too, but you know, I think Tony's almost out of uh, practice with trading lines with someone real fast. Like he's used to telling yeah, but Tony's good in the pocket. Uh, I think I, I, I think he has it in him. Oh, absolutely. But I do definitely give Jesus the edge just for those facts. Not that one's funnier than the other, just that one has more going for him when it comes to, like you said, a lot of people want to see Tony go. Dance. Oh, a lot. He shat on a lot of people that are going to be there. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, there's a lot of like the older comics. And I, I don't even mean like age wise, but uh, just comics who've been up there who maybe when Tony was coming up, uh, you know, who uh, like they want to see him go down. Yeah, and he's great. Talked a lot of shit. Well, yeah, and he's you know he's uh, borders on you know I dig the character because it's really not a character. You know, it's how he he you know it's how yeah, he feels. Funny. Yeah. Uh, but you know, it's it's good to be confident. But you know, when you're cocky, you know, people just wait for you to fall. It was the best when Tony first started because he didn't have the talent. Right now, but he's always had the ego. Oh yeah, always had that, and just he would die, and still he'd have that chin up and that smug look on his face, like he's the greatest. So I love it. I think it's a really funny. I mean, I really do think Tony's one of the funniest people I ever met in my life. Oh yeah, he's great. You know, he just so this is this whole thing's gonna be exciting. That's like the one thing. That's what I want to promote right now is is the roast battle on thursday What's thursday it? may 1st 9 p.m i don't know if it, i think it's in the ballet room no, i think it's in the main room i hope it's not it's because at the comedy store it's at the comedy you store you'll see the people I, in this podcast you know very rarely do i really i did it with dave taylor i released it the day of um i'm gonna do that today with you uh so because uh, i'm trying to be not as lazy and uh you know if you have anything you want to plug this week any shows i'll tell you this if if uh anybody wants to go to that um if anybody wants to go to that show, uh, I'll also get them into the comedy store that that night. If they're, you know, the show's only gonna last. the The battle's only gonna last for what is it like 15 20 minutes well, i think there's also an undercard so it might yeah. be longer than the regular ones but after that if if you don't want your night to be over uh i guess tweet at me at matt edgar matt has one t in it and if you're there i i will definitely set you up with some seats in the in the the show that's happening in the room next door to it and the judges for those of you i mean you really this is good this you is important. have to come to this. this if this if the battle wasn't a reason to come the judges definitely will sell you on it because i'm guessing they're going to do time maybe in the or yeah, and then even to see them on an uh, yeah you'll probably they'll all probably also do stage time in the other room but to even see them in, a, in an element like this where they're judging you're not going to see an act but you're going to see uh, yeah some them two of the greatest comedians that i that i think are especially yeah. uh i mean bill burr he was a monster. Who, I mean, I mean that guy is unstoppable. Yeah, he's, he's like the uh, he's like the Goldberg of. Uh, yeah, I mean he'll just spear you and just give you the drop. And then Sarah Silverman. Sarah Silverman, who's a legend. And Jeff Ross, who's like free the roast. I mean, he's like 
you know, Jeff Ross. He's Jeff Ross, and it, like the, I mean, this guy, he's he brought uh, Rose to the. He's he's helped it evolve into to where it's at now. I just think it's such a special night, and I think everybody would enjoy. Going oh, it's going to be in a party atmosphere. That's one of the things I like the most is, uh, and uh, Whitney Lee Rice has uh, the female house racist uh, is hilarious. Really uh, funny newer comic on the scene. Um, I think she's going to be like the next Whitney Cummings from the oh, standpoint yeah. of she's pretty. She's funny and she's a great networker, which is just what Whitney was. Yeah. Whitney Cummins. Yeah. Um, so Whitney's really funny and Rel Battle's great. Brian Moses, the host. I'll be uh, the Mr. House Racist. My favorite part of it. So. Well, it's tough. I mean, listen, I that's why I respect the, the people who do the roast because I'm nervous as a fucking anything. The two, three times they go to me, I mean, it's got to be racist and it's got to be funny. And and Jeff Ross now specifically will go to us and, and do a bit of an improv. Like, you know, I don't know what he's going to say. So we have to, I'm like, Whitney, get ready. Could, you know, we both have like four jokes of, and she writes her own jokes. So yeah, do, do you guys write jokes? Like she writes her own jokes. How do you write a joke for i mean this the situation seems so out of the moment that you pull things together right, right. i mean sometimes we combine them like uh, it was my uh well i don't know if it was 100 percent my idea about the watermelon and then she wrote the line about uh the genetically modified seeds <laughs> <laughs> so that was her line you know uh i think uh we're, we're gonna have something special i don't want to give it away uh this week i mean uh we have some wardrobe that's coming in route from uh, let's just say NBA.com. Uh, <laughs> and uh, we're uh, the... The, 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 I mean, I'm telling you, thank you, Donald Sterling. That's all I'll oh, say. It's gonna be great. And uh, go to that. You got I know, it will. No matter what, you will laugh and have a good time. I swear yeah. to the Lord, it's the most entertaining thing. It's the most entertaining live show of the week. Yeah, I mean, you'll. I mean, there's great Tony and uh, Jesus, two of the rising young comics on the scene. And you've got three comedy, literally. And this is. Is it free? Yeah. yeah. And the show itself is free. I'm. Uh, really yeah. Going just getting there get there it's free you can park parking's all over the strip people say parking at the comedy store is bad it's really not well, if, if parking's bad and if it's something you have to pay for just know you're getting you're getting it back in in a free show yeah i mean and, and yeah i'm telling you i, I can't stress it. if you're not if you want, want any excuse to go out for a live show or, or to even go out for a night you know i mean god this is such a fun cool thing i just feel bad for the people that that don't live around here that are just listening to me going like, oh, fuck, dude. I, I guess we'll hear about it next podcast. Yeah, I mean, this is, I mean, if you're seeing three comedy superstars in one room and who knows who Jeff Ross or, or Sarah or Bill are going to bring. Maybe Attell is going to watch and, uh, you know, it's just going to be a, celebrities that have shown up and then they get involved in the road. Yeah. I mean, it, it's really this cool underground. Oh, this will be on TV. And I, yeah, and that's the thing. Like now the getting's good because get. get to have it so personally right now. It's not going to be like that for long. Yeah, it's a couple months. This is going to be on a sound stage at Paramount or Fox or Comedy Central or Spike. And it's it'll still be great, but it won't, you know, unless they film it in the belly room. But I don't think you could there because it's just there's no room for cameras. But hey, but we're crossing that bridge. May 1st, Comedy Store, uh, the, ro the rail battle, roast battle, run by rail battle chris burns is involved brian moses uh, you know many great people there'd be great roast i think the may 6th also is Stuart thompson against damadonia i mean each week it gets better and better so uh follow matt edgar at m-a-t-e-d 
G-A-R. That's right. And uh, I'm at Earl Skakel, E-A-R-L-S-K-A-K-E-L. Inappropriate Earl. It's on SoundCloud. And for you Steve Jobs uh, nut swingers, you can still go on uh, iTunes. Leave a review if you want. Uh, Matt's coming back. Uh, you know, this is one of the longest uh, Inappropriate Earls. We are at an hour and 43 minutes. Uh, Dave Taylor was an hour and 57 minutes. And, of course, the all-time record uh, was uh, two hours and 30 minutes with my two friends. Chris and Cole, but the other week, uh, my computer asked me to fragment the disc, not knowing what that meant. I said yes. And that episode was erased. So as well as this, the lost, the secret lost episode with Sandy Danto and Carlos Herrera. Oh yeah. He told me about that. He said, you guys want to redo it. Oh, I felt so bad that, but that's, I I don't know much about computers. You guys came up with a song out of the moment that just, Oh, my heart breaks that, uh, I just don't know what I didn't know what fragment disc meant. And I originally hit no, it didn't click. So I'm like, oh, maybe I should just hit yes. And of course, yes clicked. And I lost, uh, you know, close to four hours of two episodes. But that's not going to happen anymore. Uh, Matt Edgar's one of the good ones. Follow him on uh, Facebook, too. Uh, Just Twitter. All right, just follow him just on Twitter. Comedy Store, Improv. He's great. Super nice guy. And uh, girls, if you're out there, I know we have one or two listeners. He's... uh, (laughs) He's available, so get on it. And, uh, you know, I'm in a moment. Uh, I'm, uh, you know, who knows what I am. But, uh, you know, if you've seen the dick pic, you know what time, you know what time it is. So <laughs> we'll uh, see you. Uh, and thanks, as always, to Stevie Rochelle from the great band Tough for providing the music on Inappropriate Earl. That's the Tough song forever yours you hear with a great guitar solo by, I don't know the name of the guitar player, but I'm sure Stevie played a handsome That is all. Uh,